Hi, I'm Brian. Uh, it's good to see you guys. If we haven't met before, it's great to see you in person. Great to see you uh, online as well. And I'd echo that. Uh, what a great uh, opportunity to meet David and Rebecca. Hey, um, as we're continuing the summer, we are in the second week of a new sermon series. Uh, we spent a bunch of time over the last number of months working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And here in July and August, we've switched gears now. And we're looking at a really fun series called Questions uh, Jesus Asked. As we introduced last week, Jesus asked tons of questions in the midst of his ministry. Uh, there's like 67 different recorded interactions that Jesus had with people. And in those, there's 50 different questions that Jesus asked in the midst of those conversations. On top of that are his parables, these stories that often infer a question even if one is not spoken explicitly. And all of this, Jesus' approach uh, was really, really unique. I want you to look again at this quote from Conrad Gempf. Um, it's found in his book, Jesus Asked. It says, Jesus was a bit different from other religious teachers. Moses wanted to tell you the law of God. Prophets were always telling you what the Lord was saying, but apparently, Apparently, if you met Jesus on the street, he was more likely to ask you something rather than tell you something. And even when other people asked him a question, he often replied with one of his own. Why in the world does Jesus ask so many questions? I think one of the things that we see is that Jesus utilized questions very intentionally to get at what's underneath the surface uh, in people's lives. And we think about ourselves. Jesus' questions, they stretch us to consider our deeper thoughts and our feelings. And they often are provocative. They push us to choose what our lives are going to be about and what they aren't going to be about. So we're going to continue on today by looking at three more questions that Jesus raises, three questions that are going to challenge our pride and our tendencies towards self-righteous judgment. Really light topic, right? <laughs> with that in mind, here's the idea that has been coming with, my, uh, uh, with me this week. There may be a few moments, a moment or two today, that has some sting to it. This is a hard topic to swallow. But here's what I hope. I hope that any sting will be like a really good antiseptic, that it heals even as it may hurt a little bit. That is the way that Jesus works uh, in our lives. Okay, so let's look at these three questions that challenge our pride, as well as we're going to look at how Jesus invites us to experience radical grace that can transform us. Our first Bible passage for this morning comes from Luke chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 36. We'll have this up on the screen. Uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them uh, with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Jesus goes on. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
Simon answered, well, one, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt for. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Verse 44, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, and she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And when Jesus said to her, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? Who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, wow, what another uh, vivid uh, section of scripture here. Uh, here's a little practice that I like to do with a narrative passage uh, like this one. I like to take some time to enter into the story and maybe envision what it would be like to experience this narrative um, from different characters uh, in, in the different, uh, in different parts of the story. So with this passage, maybe you instinctively imagine yourself as a bystander. You know, here's this dinner, you're kind of watching this whole scene unfold before you. Uh, maybe you imagine yourself being like the woman, you know, and having this really transformative encounter with Jesus. Here's the thought. How many of us naturally imagined ourselves as Simon the Pharisee? Right? That's actually the main point, the main thrust of this passage. It's the main person that Jesus is talking to, Simon the Pharisee. He's trying to make a point in the midst of this parable. Let this sing in for a few moments. Simon had pulled together this dinner party. This meal was apparently a special celebration, possibly connected with the Sabbath or another Jewish festival. And what was common in those times is they'd have kind of indoor and outdoor spaces. And so it was kind of private, but kind of public. And so in the midst of that, uh, this woman entered through whatever doorway and began to be in that space with them. And not only that, she begins to anoint Jesus' feet, both with her oil, with oil and with her tears, and she wipes them dry uh, with her hair. Luke 7 describes how Simon began to have a whole bunch of thoughts going through his mind about how this, who this woman is and what Jesus' reaction to her should be. And right in the middle of that, Jesus interrupted his thoughts. Isn't that crazy? He interrupted his thoughts. He said, basically, Simon, let me tell you a story. Two people are in debt. One was debt in, a lot, in, in debt a lot, another one just a little bit. But when they could not repay what they owed, the money lender forgave both of their debts. Which of them loved him more? That's the first question we're going to look at in more detail in just a few moments. But let's first contrast Simon and Peter, or Simon and uh, Jesus and the different reactions. Simon and Jesus actually had the same facts about this woman. Uh, she did indeed have some kind of a sordid past. Uh, Jesus didn't deny that, but what Simon and Jesus did in response was very, very different. Jesus chose redemption and he chose forgiveness, but Simon took the path of judgment. Here's one of the uncomfortable truths that we have to, to take in. Friends, we are more often more like Simon the Pharisee 
than we would like to realize. And even as it looks different in each one of our lives, all of us have a propensity towards pride and self-righteous judgment. Will you ponder that in your own life? Let me tell you a story from mine. Uh, A handful of years ago, I found myself becoming increasingly angsty. Uh, I was worked up about the decay that was happening in the world. Uh, In society, I was frustrated with the world just being the world. And in the middle of that, I sensed God interrupting me with a series of questions. Now, the back and forth of this actually took a number of days. It might even take a a number of weeks. I don't remember all of the details with this. Uh, But here's a kind of condensed Reader's Digest version of the back and forth with this. God, Brian, why are you so angry? Me. God, can't you see what's going on in the world? Now, that's a funny thought, isn't it? God, like, you're God. Can't you? Okay. God, you know, these people, like, nobody's following your rules, God. Okay? God. Brian, why, why would they follow any of my rules if they don't have any kind of relationship with me? Kind of quiet. I think I said, God, do you like the sound of crickets? You know? <laughs> I didn't have an answer. Right? God, come back to me again. Says, Brian, what... What has brought change to your life? Has it been your own effort, your own ability to follow all the rules really, really well? And then immediately, I just like, oh, my heart sank. I'm like, oh, God, no. Like the only thing, the only thing that has helped me (laughs) to find transformation is like Jesus, like an authentic encounter with Jesus. God answered back, Brian, that's exactly what I want for every single person on this planet. Again, that's a condensed version, but to get the point, in the midst of my struggles, my own struggles with pride and judgment and angst and all of those things, God interrupted me. He interrupted me with a series of questions that challenged me to a different kind of perspective. He helped me to realize that I was expecting people to behave like mature Christians without any connection with Christ. You know, God wasn't minimizing the brokenness in the world. It's real. But his main focus, however, was to challenge me, challenging me to remember what it actually takes, what it would take for that brokenness to become whole, what the gospel is really all about. It's an ongoing, life-giving relationship with Jesus. That is what it is all about. Okay, that's one story for me. What about you? You know, where do you see tendencies towards pride in your life? And maybe where do you see judgmentalism, you know, kind of surface at different points for you? I'm going to give you a couple more minutes to consider that. And I want to read a second passage that hits on some similar themes. This is from a little later in Luke's gospel, Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 14. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Uh, Two men went up to the temple to pray, uh, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, 
tell you this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves, they will be exalted. I love how Luke just cuts straight to the chase. He gives us the exact point of this passage right in verse 9, the very first verse. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. This was the thrust of this. And again, you know, Jesus would use parables much like he would use questions, even if there wasn't a, a specific question in there. He would use those to, like as an indirect avenue to challenge our assumptions and to get us to think more deeply uh, than we typically would. So in this story, again, we have another example of someone stuck in self-righteous judgment. And once again, it is a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Uh, from outward expressions, this guy could have won like church member of the month if there was such a thing, right? <laughs> you know, like he was avoiding all the big moral sins. Uh, he had some expressions of religiosity like fasting. He was a really good giver. Like he'd be way up on that list of the folks given to the church. But Jesus tells this parable to reveal that there was some really, some really ugly stuff going on in this guy's heart under the surface. And ultimately, Jesus makes the point that this guy that maybe looks so good on the outside, he was actually missing it. And the other guy, the tax collector, he was the one that actually got it. Now, I want to just um, have a little bit of a, a word of warning in this. Like, it would be easy, I've read two stories now, that have the same kind of a person that's exhibiting self-righteous judgment. It could be easy for us to assume that self-righteous judgment comes in only one flavor, like in the extreme religious fundamentalist version of that, okay? Um, but here's the truth. Self-righteous judgment can surface in any one of us and from any spot along the religious, philosophical, political spectrums. Like none of us, none of us is immune to this. It can show up in us and through us in so many different ways. Now certainly, religious fundamentalism, that particular flavor, you know, um, man, we have had countless examples in recent years of Christians acting very little or nothing like <laughs> the Jesus that we follow. And that's been really ugly. It's been really sad to see I even just told you one of my stories of how this has surfaced for me, kind of in a religious judgment uh, type of a way. But one of the things I've also noticed in recent years is a rise in what we might call non-religious secular fundamentalism, you know, where maybe the rules to follow aren't drawn from Scripture, but there can be this similar hard edge to it, a hard edge of judgment when people are not living according to a particular set of standards whether well, it's about what the right kind of car to drive is, you know, particulars about taking health precautions or what it looks like to express tolerance. Whatever the specific items are, again, it is so important to recognize that self-righteous judgment, this kind of pride, it is in all of us. It can surface in any of us at any time, no matter what background we might have. Hey, here's another angle uh, for us to consider, another angle to challenge us. In this story, here was the prayer of the Pharisees. It says, God, I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. Who's on your list? Who would be on your list of, God, I thank you I'm not like blank? Who do you, whether openly or secretly, disdain? 
Who are people that you at times despise and judge? You know, if we're honest, we all have people that we wish, like frustrating people, different groups of people that we wish like would just really just go away, <laughs> like if we're gut honest, right? But here's what I want to challenge you with today. What if, what if some of those folks that we are so prone to judge could actually become gifts to us to help us to learn how to love more and more like Jesus? I think that's one of the things that Jesus is pointing us towards. We need them, <laughs> whoever they might be in our lives. They actually could become gifts to us in our lives. Again, I want to be careful in your listening. Be careful in this. Don't misunderstand what I'm getting at. I'm not saying that we should abandon our sense of right and wrong. No, instead, what I'm saying is that we need to abandon the ways that we exalt ourselves at the expense of others, ways that we are confident in our own righteousness and we look down on other people. And we say, God, anybody but them. <laughs> God, I'm so glad I am not like them. Friends, that is in all of us. We can all fall into this. But here's another angle. Maybe you've experienced this contrast. Maybe you've experienced where two people can believe equally that something is wrong. From one person, there's this hard edge of judgment. But from the other person, there's just a simple and even a humble conviction. They have the same conviction, but it comes out completely different. I think there's a way for us to have convictions, even strong ones, that's molded by this character of Jesus. That's super hard, but that is what we're shooting for. Again, I know in my own life, I have found Jesus to be so persistent. Sometimes I haven't liked it. Sometimes I've been really frustrated, like, God, why are you challenging me so much? But it is so good for me. It is so good for you. When we get challenged with these reactions of those hard edges, whatever they might be about, you know, when Jesus challenges me about how I'm settling for having outdoor, um, outward expressions of being right, but my heart might be uh, steeped with pride. Again, I think this is true for all of us. Thank God uh, that he does not leave us in that place. Okay, that is a lot so far about some of the ways that we can fall into pride and judgment. Let's dig in a little bit more to the three specific questions that Jesus raises uh, in these two passages that we've read so far. Here's the first question in Luke 7. Again, question number one, which of them will love him more? When you chew on that, it's actually a little bit of an odd question. In Jesus' story, two people had been forgiven debts. Um, to me, the more natural question would be, which one of them would be more grateful? Which one of them would maybe be more relieved? Maybe even more surprised, but it's interesting how Jesus says which one of them would love him, would love him more. Look again at what Jesus says in Luke 7, verse 47. Bring this up on the screen. Do we have that on the screen? Luke 47. There we go. So I actually want to have us read this together. Let's read this together. Jesus says, a person who forgives much loves much. A person who has forgiven little shows only little love. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a person with little love? A person with much love? In this story, Jesus is connecting these dots. Connecting the dots between our experience of being forgiven 
in our ability to love. The deeper our awareness of God's grace goes, the more fully that we can, um, uh, you know, authentically love God and love others in return. And in this regard, Jesus, he, he makes a stark contrast between the Pharisee and the woman. He's saying, in essence, Simon, you, you may have some correct opinions, but your actions are revealing that your heart is not in the right place. Your love is lacking. And in large part, that's because you think you are self-sufficient. Your experience of being forgiven is super shallow, and so your love is super shallow. But then look at this woman. What about her experience? This woman, on the other hand, knows how much she has been forgiven, and in return, her capacity for love is big. Maybe you can think about it this way. Imagine your heart being like real estate. There's only so much square footage to go around, and you get to choose what you fill that square footage with. Are you going to allow for like the squatters of pride and self-righteous judgment to take up residence in your heart? Or are you going to make the challenging choice, that continual choice to let that love of Jesus find its way in more and more? What we're seeing here in Luke 7 is Jesus says a key strategy for love to grow in you is for you to understand how deeply you've been forgiven. You know, to understand how much God has shown you mercy and grace that you did not deserve. It's through that pathway that you begin to love God more and you also have a chance to love other people more. What would it be like if the real estate of our heart, that space, could be occupied more and more by Christ-centered love? Man, that's what I want for my life. That's what I want for us. With that in mind, let me offer a couple practical um, action steps. Here's one. Um, regularly reflect. I want to challenge you to regularly reflect on the forgiveness that Jesus has extended you. What has that been like for you? How have you experienced Jesus coming to your rescue, giving you mercy, <laughs> like not giving you what you deserve, and then giving you grace, which is giving you what you don't deserve? How has that worked out for you in your own life? It's one of the reasons why we do communion every single week here at the Vineyard. Uh, as I was talking about earlier, it's a chance to reflect. It's a chance to remember what God has done on our behalf through the work of Jesus on the cross. He really has brought us forgiveness. And we can experience on a deep level that can transform us and help us to love more and more and better and better. You might think about it from the other angle. As you notice any areas that lack love, you can use this strategy to realize like, if I'm lacking love, there's probably some deficiency in my experience of forgiveness. And so you can use that not as a way to beat yourself up, but actually as a way to realize, man, there's just more for me to experience from God. God, would you show me? Show me how kind you've been. Let me see this. Let me experience this uh, more and more. That's the first thing. Secondly, I want to encourage you, leverage your frustrations. We all have them, right? <laughs> leverage your frustrations with others as a pathway to grow in love. As I mentioned a moment ago, what if the people that we are so angsty about in our lives could actually be gifts to us? That God would utilize those in a strategic fashion to help us to love more and more like Jesus. 
Um, author Paul Burns describes this growth process in this way. He says, the more that we grow in love for God, the more we will grow into the image of God, the less we will resemble the world, and the more our instinct will be to love, even on a bad day, and even our enemies. That's what we're shooting for. Similarly, uh, Dallas Willard describes spiritual maturity like this. This was his test. The main test for Christ-like character is whether one spontaneously responds to one's enemies with love. How's that going for you this week? (laughs) Man, that is challenging. That is hard. But friends, this is the way of Jesus. To love like this. This is what he's calling us towards. This is what he wants to develop in us. And if we see less than this, which we're going to see, but to the extent that we see less than this, that is an invitation for us to reconnect with the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God in the person of Jesus so that we can grow our capacity to love God and to love other people well. Is that sinking in? Okay, you getting this? This is what Jesus points us towards. Okay. Next question that Jesus asked in today's scriptures is, do you see this woman? Now, I'll have to imagine this, uh, acknowledge this as a, as a biblical preacher and working through context. Um, full disclosure, this is likely just a transition phrase. This isn't like the main point, but I tell you, this week, this has been the question that has just stopped me in my tracks. I told you a story from a few years ago about God challenging me in my pride and judgment. This is the one that I've been sitting with this week. I've been realizing on a deeper level that when I slip into pride and judgment, it is easy for me to be blind to others' full humanity. I certainly see what they're doing that irritates me, (laughs) but I can fail to see them as people. Ouch. Again, what they're doing or thinking could be totally wrong, but it's so, so is, like so equally is the way that I can scornfully objectify him. That is worthy of Jesus' challenge. And as we look at wider culture, this is so pervasive, you know, where we prop ourselves up and people on our team, and then there is a consistent push to dehumanize and even demonize those that we disagree with, that don't, uh, you know, kind of do the same things like the different people, different groups, whatever it is, okay? Think about the news headlines we read, the tweets we click on, they are specifically designed to actually produce contempt in us. They're crafted to elicit these responses of judgment, like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? Like, they are laser-pointed towards those things. And friends, that is not healthy. (laughs) That is not good for your soul. It's not good for mine. It is not the way of Jesus, even as it is so normal in our world today. So I'm going to ask you this question. What does that look like for you? Who does Jesus see? Who does Jesus see around you that you don't see? Who are you prone to dehumanize? Who can you easily cast aside? Answering those kinds of questions, it does take some courage, but it can be really helpful in your hope to love others more and more like Jesus. Okay, let's keep rolling. One last question. Final question that comes up in today's passages. Uh, Which person went home justified? 
Now, even though this was not stated explicitly, this is the inferred question from Luke 18. Uh, Jesus is comparing the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he's, you know, he's basically saying, like, which one of these guys got it? To be justified is to be made right, to be brought into good standing. And so the Pharisee, he took this approach. His prayers were filled with his resume of good deeds that he thought would earn him bonus points with God. Again, as verse 9 said, he was confident in his own righteousness, and he looked down on everyone else. Contrast that with the tax collector. His simple prayer was just over and over, God, have mercy. God, have mercy on me. I need you, God. I need you. And in light of this, here's Jesus' punchline again. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the tax collector went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we all slip into this, approaching God uh, with all the good things that we've done. It's a dynamic can be uh, pretty sneaky. We're expecting for that to, you know, uh, earn us acceptance, uh, you know, step into the affirmation that we long for. And it's super sobering to realize that the path to being called right, to being justified, is simply to admit that we don't bring anything to the table. This is one of the mysteries, the amazements of this good news of Jesus. Again, we cry out for mercy. We ask for God's grace to do in us what we can never do for ourselves. I love how the Apostle Paul describes this in Romans chapter 3. He's describing, he's trying to put to words, what is this good news of Jesus? Here's one of the ways he describes this. He says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone who sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And people are made right. They're justified with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And friends, this is why we talk so much, why we sing so much, you know, why we've got this symbol up here of the cross. It's like we could never get to God on our own. If it was up to our own resume, our own deeds, it's a done deal, like there's no way. But in God, in his great mercy and his amazing grace, came to find us in the person of Jesus. And when we put our hope in him, that is how we experience this dynamic of being justified, of being made right with God and everything in life beginning to be set right according to him and according to his kingdom. So give you a couple of action steps here. Now, in response to this challenge, here's one of the things I wanna encourage you to do. Place your trust in Jesus Christ. Not just once, but over and over and over again. This is not just one thing where we pray a simple prayer and then we get our ticket to heaven and that's it. When I say place your trust in Jesus Christ, I mean right now. And then when you walk out that door, you get in your car, you're going to have to place your trust in Jesus again. When you wake up tomorrow, you're going to have to place your trust in Jesus again. <laughs> 
Like, it's just over and over again. This is the life of what it means to follow Christ, that we are not trusting ourselves, we're trusting Jesus. He is our righteousness. And he gives that to us as an amazing gift of grace. You know, what are you? What am I? What are we trusting to make us good and in a right spot? If it's our own efforts, our own ability to live up some standard, we're going to fail miserably. Putting our trust in Jesus, it is a much, much better way uh, to go. Other action step I want to give you is actually another scripture. Um, it's the one I've been chewing on a lot this week. It's from 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Uh, the same kind of thought shows up in James as well. Uh, Peter writes, Clothe yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Here echoes of what Jesus was saying there. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I love the very beginning of this. <laughs> you know, if you've lived in the Northland for any length of time, you've likely learned the saying, uh, there's no bad weather, there's only bad clothing, right? <laughs> there's no bad weather, there's only bad clothing. Just like this morning, you had a choice about what shirt you were going to put on, you know, what shoes and socks you were going to clothe yourself with. Every single day, you have a choice what that you're going to clothe your heart with. And what Jesus points us towards, what the New Testament points us towards, is that we want to clothe our hearts with love and humility. That's the way of Jesus. There's so many different things that we can put on that are going to even feel more natural to us, of pride and self-righteous judgment and contempt and envy and covetousness, you know, just wanting all these different things. But we can make the choice with God's power to clothe ourselves in humility, and that's going to lead into a much better place. And friends, here's the deal. It is easy. It is the autopilot response to put on pride, self-righteous judgment. The harder choice is to clothe yourselves with the humility of Jesus and to express that to the people around us, even those that we would consider our enemies. That is what God is calling us towards. Man, we've covered a lot of ground today. <laughs> here's what I want you to get. One of the things I love about Jesus, and I hope you love about Jesus, is that he is persistent. Lovingly, but he is persistent to challenge us in any way that we're stepping into pride, self-righteous judgment, and he often does that through a pointed question or a well-placed story. The only item left in the balance is really about our response. How will we respond when Jesus challenges our pride, when he challenges our self-righteousness? May God pour out his supernatural grace upon us that we may increasingly choose his way of love and humility. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? And uh, we're going to pray for one another. We're going to go back into some singing and worship. And uh, just want to give some time that we can just take a deep breath and say, oh God, what in there? God, what are you doing? What are you showing me? God, all these questions that Jesus asked, both in the scriptures and maybe you've had other things going through your mind in your own experience if you've been trying to follow Jesus, of him asking you pointed questions just like I described Jesus asking me pointed questions. This is a really natural part of uh, what it means to walk with Jesus uh, day by day. So Holy Spirit, would you come... 
God, would you just um, immerse us, even fresh and anew, um, with an experience of your supernatural grace? God, we admit, like, the, le- the ground is level at the cross. None of us <laughs> is going to get this all on our own. God, we are all just amazingly dependent, and dependent on you, God, and, and needing of your grace. So would you just come right now? Remind us of how that is freely available to us through the work of Christ on the cross. Some of you may just be having some, um, some, just some conviction rising up. It's like, oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> God, when I think about people that are on my list that I would just rather just go away, God, would you, would you just replace that, that contempt with more your love? <laughs> Maybe some of you are just being renewed in God's kindness towards you, and maybe your beginning prayer is just, God, thank you. I, I just, I can't say enough thank you. Thank you for not leaving me in my pile of my own brokenness. But would you just come? Come even more, Lord. In front of our ministry team, once you start to make your way up, um, I just want to invite us to, to pray for one another. Um, there's so many different ways that we can uh, respond. I think they're super specific to each thing that God might be doing in our lives. I might even just track back to uh, the question that Michael began our series with last week. Um, you know, the first question that we looked at was Jesus asking, what do you want? That could be a question that you could answer again today. Maybe you've been chewing on that, or maybe this is the first time you've heard that. What? What do you really want? Another way to maybe express that it dovetails into what we're talking about today. What do you need? You know, Jesus asking us, what do you need? Where do you need my grace and my forgiveness? Where do you need my strength to love others that you might consider enemies? Those are awesome things that you can come. Maybe you're here today and this whole idea of what it means to respond to Jesus and his free gift of forgiveness. Could that actually be for me? Yes, it can be for you. Any of these folks up here would love to pray with you, love to introduce you to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you've got physical things going on, other issues in life, man, we would love to pray for anything you've got going on. We're gonna go back into some worship Come up, get some prayer, but don't leave until you respond in some way. Like, God, what are you up to in my life? Here I am, God. Lead me forward. Thanks for being here at the Vineyard today. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday.